0: We're in this series called Undiluted, The Undiluted Jesus. And uh, he, Jesus is all we need. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 today, if you want to turn there in your Bible. And uh, next week, we're actually having a guest speaker, Ray Johnson from uh, Bayside up in Sacramento. Some of you might remember he was here last year. Well, he's coming back uh, doing a conference uh, down in uh, uh, Carlsbad. So I said, Couldn't you come preach the Sunday before that? And he said, Yes. So. He's going to be here with us next Sunday. We'll have a lot of fun. Well, last week we were talking about Jesus. He's the best. And we saw how we do, if we're going to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, that we make God's word known. We're, we're the Bible that some people read. and. Um, we are powered by Jesus alive in us, and we need to be growing up to spiritual maturity. So Paul continues this. It's a love letter, really, that we're looking at in this whole book. And he continues some of the same idea in what we've marked as chapter 2, that Jesus is all we need. Jesus is all we need. We don't need to be mixing in three parts Jesus and two parts of the world. And so let's not be uh, uh, fooled into adopting even a portion of the thinking of the world that dilutes Jesus from being anything but number one in our lives. He's not just a good person. He wasn't just a great teacher or or a prophet or a God. Jesus is God who came in human flesh. And so he uh, takes the number one spot. He doesn't fit anywhere else in our life, really. He's just in the number one. He's all that we need. So he says, uh, Paul uh, says in chapter 2, he says, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Now remember, Paul is sitting in prison, probably in Rome. And uh, he has heard about these people and the struggle they're having of living for Jesus Christ completely in a world that's around them that is not sympathetic to their walking with Christ. And uh, we live in the same kind of world. And uh, so it says he's in a struggle. He's having a great struggle for them while he's in prison. Where is the struggle? It's not in seeing them face to face. His struggle is in his heart and in his mind. It's a spiritual battle that's happening in prayer as he pours his heart out to the Lord. I mean, these kinds of struggles are real. They're intense. Do you remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed so intensely as he was talking to God and getting ready to suffer on the cross and praying for the people that that he knew and loved that need salvation and forgiveness? He prayed so intensely that it was like sweat drops of blood coming from him. And he was praying for you and for me. Paul mentioned in his first verse that he's also struggling for those in Laodicea. Now, Laodicea and Colossae were two little towns about 10 miles apart. Be like here in San Clemente. And um, so they're different in some ways. and They're each unique, but they're also very, very similar in terms of the pressures from the world around them and uh, for uh, the kind of people they would attract and uh, the challenges that they would have. And uh, the people in Laodicea also had a church and they loved uh, Jesus and they had the same pressures from the world. So Laodicea is only mentioned two other times in the whole Bible. Once in chapter four here in the book of uh, Colossians, he mentions that, would you please read this letter to the Laodiceans and read the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans in, in Colossae. And that letter has been lost, so we don 't have that, but we know that he wanted this letter read there because they had some of the same kind of pressures. there is, however, a a little letter that was written to them, and it 's in revelation it 's one of the seven churches of revelation, and so this letter to Colossians to the Colossians was written probably around sixty a d and the letter to laodicea in that 's in revelation was probably written around ninety a d so It's a little further along, but it's a sad letter uh, that was written to them because the people who laid to like the ones in Colossi, had been in love with Jesus, but they had drifted from taking Jesus as their savior to taking Jesus for granted. They had let the values of the world creep into the point where they looked like the world. And so here's what it says in Revelation chapter 3, starting verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. In other words, this is Jesus speaking to them. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Well, look how far they've drifted from when they first fell in love with Jesus. How sad. From taking him as Savior to taking him for granted. I heard of a couple that had been married 60 years, and so their church was throwing a party. I know we have several in the room. And um, so they were throwing a party, and, uh, you know, everybody was celebrating, the husband and wife sitting next to each other, and she leans over to whisper something in his ear. Of course, it might have been his bad ear, I'm not sure, but, um, you know, she whispers something, and he kind of rears back, and he says to her loud enough, unfortunately, for a lot of people to hear, Well, I'm kind of tired of you, too. And she says, no, 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 I said, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) How do you go from asking Jesus to be your savior and to be in love with him and to forgive your sin to telling yourself, I'm rich, I got it made, I did it all by myself. And the answer is just a little bit at a time. I mean, it's just a gradual shifting of taking your eyes off Jesus just a little bit and what Jesus does for us and what we can't do for ourselves. Nobody's a self-made man. And what a treasure Jesus is. And then looking in the windows of the world next door and thinking that somehow it would be better to mix some of that in with Jesus rather than keeping our pure, undiluted Jesus and keeping our heart and our eyes fully fixed on him. Paul is struggling on their behalf. How do you keep Jesus pure and undiluted by the world? Because Jesus is all we need. Cling to Jesus. Paul's saying, I'm struggling on your behalf. I'm in your corner. I believe in you. I'm praying for you. He says, verse 2, that your hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mercy, which is Christ. Yesterday I had the privilege I went to see some people in the hospital and one of those is Wilma Palin. You remember Lennox and Wilma and um, she was waiting to check out. In fact, had been waiting two hours just for somebody to bring a wheelchair to get her out of the hospital and um, so I said, would you like, I probably won't be in church tomorrow, would you like to read the passage we're going to be reading tomorrow? And so we did. We read uh, uh, Colossians 2 but we got to this part right here and so I'm reading being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery and Lennox goes, which is christ because he had read ahead somewhere you know you know through the years he's read this and so probably memorized it really but um we were just encouraged together to say what is what is god's gift to us what is the mystery it's christ in you he's the hope of glory And what a great encouragement Paul is. Do you know what a great support it is to have someone, at least one, say consistently in your ear, I believe in you. I believe in you. Stay encouraged. Paul is praying for them. Be encouraged. Knit together in love. Hang on to each other for support and encouragement and love. Reach that spot of richness that you know, that you know, that you know that Jesus Christ is in your corner. And he's your savior. And he's... He's number one in your life. He died on the cross to save you from your sin, and he's God. So he has the power to forgive you and to power your life now and to give you a permanent home in heaven. And he promised to never leave you, never forsake you, and to be in you. He is the only hope of glory. Paul is saying that all the deepest truths of God are centered in Jesus Christ. Well, now think about this. Eric and Victoria Taylor's daughter, Sierra, got married up at Tahoe this summer, and so Cindy and I went up to, to actually be part of the wedding, and so we got to cruise across Lake Tahoe, so we started at Zephyr Cove and went over to Emerald Bay, and the, you know, the guy on the boat's been trying to make it entertaining, so at one point he stops, and he says, right here, this lake is seven feet deep, and you look down, of course, you can't quite see the bottom, but you know, seven feet doesn't seem all that far, you can... Almost, you know, reach still, have your hand up. And, and and then he goes on. So we're talking. It's not a few, maybe a minute later, he stops the boat together. He says, now right here, look down in the water, because right here, it's 1,200 feet deep. Oh, wow, the same lake, 7 feet to 1,200 feet. And on the surface, it all looks the same. Well sometimes when we come to church, we keep things kind of surface how are you i 'm fine I'm, how are you i 'm fine you know what i 'm saying and, and uh, we can 't quite remember people 's names, so thank you for wearing your name tags to help remind me and to remind each other and and uh, we uh, like to encourage one another as much as we can. but sometimes when you have a crisis, when you have a tragedy or an event that forces you to plumb the depths of of the human experience and emotion and and, and to, to really hurt then the love of Christ and the truth of God's knowledge and understanding, you find out that it actually goes pretty deep. It's deeper still. That if you're having a struggle in faith for whatever reason, you also find that the answers at church or in Sunday school or from your friends do not suffice. They seem kind of surface. Maybe they're only seven feet deep. Well, don't quit. Don't give up. Keep pursuing Jesus. He's the truth. He's the treasure. And you can go deep. And Jesus Christ is deeper still. He will go as low as you need to go. So we see here that Jesus is the truth and the treasure. In verse 3, Paul said, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Just in a few verses back, Paul has said the mystery is solved. Christ in you the hope of glory. Now he's saying that in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What would you give to, have such, to inherit such a treasure? To think that Christ is in you and in Christ is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that come from God. Do you know, the wisdom of God can't be accessed by human logic. It can't be accumulated in a world book or on the internet. The wisdom of God can only be reached through God's spirit. So a person who doesn't have God's spirit inside cannot understand the deeper things of God. And Jesus here is that deeper treasure of wisdom and knowledge. He is the treasure. Jesus himself answered this question several times. He said in Matthew thirteen forty four, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found, and then covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. Now imagine if you were out somewhere maybe in the foothills or somewhere, and you're <clears throat> out on the desert, and you're digging around for some reason in a shovel, and uh, you happen to bonk into something, under, and so you scratch away, and it's, it's a chest, and so you end up under covering it. It's a footlocker, and so out of curiosity, you play archaeologist, and you uncover the whole chest, and when you finally pry it open, it's full of so many gold coins and treasures, yet you just know that it's worth at least 100 times of everything you've got. Well, you'd do a little research and find out how who owned that field, wouldn't you? And uh, you'd do just like the man in this story did. You'd cover it up so to hope nobody find it. You'd uh, go and find out who the owner is. You'd go knock on their door and to talk to them. And you'd try to keep your best poker face on and negotiate a price of the field. You'd try to look just half interested, like you're just lukewarm about it. But what, what, what would you be willing to put on the table to get that field that's worth a hundred times everything you have? Well, everything, of course. So, you know, you'd probably have a conversation to something like this, sir, you know, there's this field on the corner of uh, Maine and California that uh, I understand that you own, and I would like to buy that field. And I'd like to purchase it. And so the man humors you. He well, what do you have to offer for it? Well, you know, we were just out here uh, today, so uh, here in my wallet I don't have a whole lot, but I do have some in the bank. Well, that's good. It's a pretty expensive field. Um, what do you have in the bank? Because it might take more than that. Well, <laughs> you know, I have my car. Well, I'll take it. What else you got? Well if you take my car how will we get anywhere from our house? Oh you have a house? You want my field? I'll take your house. Says but if you take my house where will I have my wife and kids live? Oh you have a wife and kids. Do you want my field? I'll take those too. Says but then I wouldn't have if you take my car you take my house you take all my money in the bank you take uh, my family the only thing I'll have left is me. Well I'll take you too. You want the field, right? I mean, think how much it's worth. You say, well, yes, I would give everything for your field. So yes. And then the guy says, okay, it's a deal. It's your field. You got the treasure. Now, he'd probably go on to say, you know, I'll tell you what, I don't really need another house. I don't need another car. I don't need another wife. I don't need any more kids. So I'll let you borrow my newest ones. Now remember, all that's mine. So when I need it, I can come take it back. But you take good care of it for me. Would you do the deal? Well, sure you would. And so would I. Jesus is the treasure. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we trade our all to Jesus to receive him. He is the treasure. Jesus is all we need. Cling to him. Paul gave us another angle on this when he wrote to to the Corinthian church. He said, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are those jars of clay. God has put into our mortal flesh His immortal treasure He has placed in us, that treasure is Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is all we need. So Paul is explaining, he says, I'm sitting here in prison. I'm praying for you to be encouraged. Stick together. Let's struggle together to reach all of the riches that are contained in God's mystery, you know, in Christ, who's alive in you. Because we stay stronger in Christ when we stick together. Now, I've noticed that there's a trend going on in our country that uh, is disturbing, that I'm really disappointed with. Sunday morning is no longer just kind of the sacred church time that it used to be. So many people that are Tandy's generation... (sighs) No, I was trying to be serious here, but... When they think of regular church attendance, when you think of regular church attendance, you're thinking eight, nine, or ten times out of ten and you're right. Many people my age or younger when they're thinking regular church attendance, they're comparing it next to all the other things that get happening on Sunday morning or how busy you are or all the other things you're to do and they think that 3 out of 10 times is regular attendance. Now, that's a problem. Especially because, you know, we see this even in our children's ministry of children that are only here very sporadically because, I mean, they don't drive themselves. Their parents drive them to church, but their parents are so busy doing so many other things. And we're stronger in Christ when we stick together, is what Paul is saying, to support one another, to encourage one another. And so I just want to encourage you with your kids and your grandkids, with anybody, to say, hey, come on, it's the Lord's day. Let's be in the Lord's house. Let's worship him together. Let's praise him together. And so we're stronger in Christ when we stick together and we make it a priority. He goes on to say, the truth protects us from deception. Verse four, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul is concerned that someone who doesn't know Jesus is trying to erode the faith of believers, is trying to compromise the truth, get believers to compromise the truth so they fit in better with the world around them. Do you think somebody would try to intentionally fool you into watering down your faith, causing you to not want to speak out, wanting to blunt your witness, not wanting you to to inject Jesus into situations? Yes, that's the kind of world we live in today in America. Can you think of any values that you're hearing expressed at work or on TV or online that shake your confidence in following Jesus? You know, have you ever heard somebody say, maybe to you or to somebody else, you're so intolerant. It's just pride to view your beliefs as true and everybody else's as false or wrong. When we as believers know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that his word is God's word. So we're not speaking that way or believing that way on our own initiative. We didn't think it up. We simply read God's word and follow it. Or have you ever heard somebody say, you know, Jesus is obsessed with religious categories. It doesn't matter to him what faith a person pursues. All roads lead to heaven. It doesn't matter the label. What matters is love and service to our fellow man. Well, now, these kind of things can sound pretty good. Maybe even enticing. Maybe make us not so we're not out of step with the world. But how do you answer them? Because when we treasure Jesus, we focus on him. We get to know him and his teachings so well that we see through those fine-sounding arguments. That's when Jesus is acting as a shield for us and he's protecting us and we're able to have the the, the strength of his word to, to stand on and to know that it's our foundation and it doesn't move. Stay focused on Jesus, on what is true and what is pure and what is undiluted. Stay in his protection. Jesus is all we need. Cling to him. We also see that the truth orders and strengthens. Stand firm in your faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, Paul says, Though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what Paul's trying to say here is to tell him to stand strong in Jesus Christ, and I can see the firmness of your faith. In other words, those are military terms for order and discipline of strength. This past summer, I had the privilege of going to the Air Force Academy on the day that there were 1,200 new recruits. All of them happen to be somewhere, have been a high school valedictorian or something like that. They have a four point zillion uh, uh, GPA. And um, there were 12,000 students that applied. Only 1,200 got in. And they all arrive on that one day, all looking unique and motley and individual. One of those out of the 1,200 happened to come right here from our church. His name is Daniel. And uh, so I got to meet him and his parents and kind of uh, help walk them through some of the process. And uh, then all of a sudden they were in process. So all of the recruits go upstairs and the parents go downstairs. And they can only wave at each other a few times after that. Within the next 24 hours... The recruits have all been processed, fed, yelled at, intimidated, woken up early, issued haircuts, uniforms, boots, marching orders, and they practiced marching for hours out on the Toronto. And then early, very early the next morning, they are presented to the three-star general in this parade. Now look for Daniel. You'll see him. There he is. so he's doing well. (laughs) But you also notice that they're all working together. They're all moving the same direction. They're all listening to the same voice. Order is talking about what we just saw, going from individualism to order to become a disciplined group who work together. Firm is a word meaning solidity and compactness. Paul is underlining the unyielding nature of our faith that we have one head, one Lord, one Christ named Jesus. He is undiluted and pure and powerful and in his proper place in the universe and in your life is number one. So don't share that spot with anything or anybody else. Paul is trying to warn these Christians, your faith is under attack by the world around you. Stick together, maintain discipline, listen to Jesus and follow him with your faith in full force that Jesus is our shield of faith. He's our protector and defender. So stand with him because you always have him in front of you and do not waver. Well, that's why we need each other to be able to work together and to march together and to represent Christ together. The truth gives order and strength to our faith. It's our anchor. It's our seatbelt. It's what holds us in when we're facing danger. It's Jesus. Now, we're going to go on to look at verses 6 and 8, but I got to tell you, if you read this, you can tell verses 1 to 5 and verses 6 to 8. Basically, Paul says the same thing twice. He says it over again. He repeats himself. You could say that again. And let me summarize what paul says we are to do we have the truth of jesus christ alive in our hearts that jesus is the uncountable riches he is the immeasurable treasure with jesus in us the hope of glory here is our task here is what's to be our focus verse six therefore as you receive christ jesus the lord so walk in him and he goes on and he gets so excited and and uh, you know there's in the King of Jameth version of this um, there are uh, like a whole chapter of that's one sentence Paul just goes and 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 you know people in English realize it might be helpful to take a breath and to divide it into certain sentences uh, bite sized pieces okay uh, and so we've we've done that but this verse he gets so excited that he mixes together different metaphors um, like his plaids and his prints and he says to walk in Christ and then he talks about being rooted and then he talks about being built up and then established, which seemed to suggest the foundation of a building. And then he talks about abounding in thanksgiving. Let's take it apart. He says, therefore, or so then, in other words, in light of this, in light of what? That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Jesus is the treasure who comes from God. That in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you are to remain true to Christ Jesus as Lord, Christ, the anointed one from God. Jesus, the Savior, Lord, our Sovereign, our King of Kings. So as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, this doesn't necessarily come out in the English, but rooted and built up are in the perfect tense or rooted is in the perfect tense, which I reminded you last week is completed action. It's finished with a continuing positive result. So you're rooted, you're, you're grounded and then built up is in the present tense, which is a continual process. We get built up and we get tired and we get built up and we get torn down and we get built up and we, 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 you know, we're like a bicycle tire that gets pumped up and then it's good for a while, but then it goes a little flat and it gets pumped up again that we need spiritual renewal and to be renewed. I had one of those Moments this week of renewal. We're sitting around our staff table, all the, the pastors and staff, and we pray and we pray for you and we go over the business and we look at the calendar and then we go around the circle to see who has what. And I get around the circle and there's Pastor Bob Vanderzag who visits in the hospital and he also uh, leads our grief share. And I don't know if he or Tandy are older. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't want to ask him, okay? But, but, but they're contemporaries, okay? So he has been a pastor for a while. He's retired. Now he's come just for fun to work alongside of us. And we get to him and Pastor Bob says, Well, listen, I've been reading this book. They found the secret. This is the life, a book, he says, of, of 12 or 20 Christians who already had Jesus in their heart, but they just felt blessings just kind of dribbled along in their life. He says, Remember that song, Showers of Blessing, Showers of Blessing We Need? which I thought wasn't in our hymn book because I looked up showers of blessing, but the title is There Shall Be Showers of Blessing. It's number 430. Somebody found it during the rest of the sermon in the first hour, okay? So there shall be showers of blessing, and it says mercy drops round us are falling. So he made the comparison that says, my whole ministry, as I look back, has been mercy drops, just little spatterings on the concrete around me where I'm praying for showers of blessings. He said, and these people, God showered them on them, where their life was just a continual uh, fountain of blessings and they were used to bless hundreds if not thousands of other people. He said, I'm praying that now, between now and when I go to heaven, that my ministry and my life will be so much more fruitful than it ever was when it was just mercy drops for all those years. Now I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, I am so impressed by you. Here you've lived for Jesus all your life. And now in your 80s, you're praying not, Lord, make my life comfortable or just give me more comforts or pleasures. But how do I be a conduit of God's spirit to bless people around me even greater than I ever did in my whole career? Lord, give me showers of blessing. I go, wow, that is a great example for me and a motivation. So I wanted to share with you, it might motivate you as well to say, God, do that in my life too. Do that in our church too. Start with me. That your blessings would be so poured out that people would be turning to Jesus and getting right in relationships and doing the right things and growing in their families and reaching out in our community as salt and light and making a difference Paul, That's what Paul is saying here, built up, that we get a little tired, and then we need to be built back up. Then he goes on to say, established in the faith. Established is in the present tense. In other words, we also need to be established and then reestablished and reestablished. We seem to slip, and we need to reestablish. It's kind of like climbing a hill of sand, but you keep reestablishing your footsteps until you reach the top. What he's saying here, I think, is that we need to, and he's talking to a group, that we need to make our church and our Christian friends more of a priority. We need each other. So I'd like you to put out some effort today in a practical way when the service is over to meet somebody you don't know by name. Meet somebody and be an encouragement to be here regularly. Be, Be a regular and to care for one another. We probably need more greeters for this service, more ushers, more people could help, more people wearing name tags, more people reaching out and caring intentionally, not just to be nice, but for the sake of Christ. As we pray, Lord, not just mercy drops, shower us with your blessings. I don't know. And then Paul goes on to say, besides walk in Christ, then he says, abounding in thanksgiving. I don't know if you've noticed, but Paul is big on overflowing with thankfulness and thanksgiving. Here, I thought, wow, thanksgiving is a long way away, and Pastor Bob already had us singing about Christmas, you know, and jumping right over thanksgiving. And this thankfulness right here is uh, is in the present tense. So the idea is we overflow with thankfulness over and over and over and over and over like Paul did. Make it a daily habit. Make it a life habit. Have you let any thank yous escape your lips already this morning? Or have you taken the people who served you for granted? I mean, we could say thank you to God for the big things, you know, like our salvation and that Christ is in us, and that we're the hope of glory and our sin has been forgiven and a place is reserved in heaven for us. But there are so many other things to abound in thanksgiving for. You don't have to wait for some turkey at the end of November to be reminded to be grateful. Just be a grateful turkey now. And express it out loud. How about being thankful in your home for those you live with? For some, you go, wow, if I heard gratitude expressed in my home, that would be a miracle. We would know a shower of blessing was coming our way, right? But to let it escape your lips. I mean, I'm suggesting you let at least one thank you slip out of your lips every day to somebody who in your home is serving you. How about being thankful in your church with those you worship with? I mean... Did you know that there were people probably before you woke up today who are already here preparing this room, getting it ready for for you to be comfortable and to be ready so you could hear God's word unimpeded and to lift our voices in music to God and to help you overflow with thanksgiving. So take time to thank an usher or hug a musician or thank a hostess or, you know, a donut provider or a greeter. How about being thankful in our community? I mean, have you seen where we get to live? Have you given any thought of how you might improve it or to show your appreciation or to serve our community in the name of Christ? And then finally, to be thankful for Jesus, to not be like the church in Laodicea, like the one at Colossae was headed that same direction. We could drift that way too if we're not intentional about keeping Jesus as the center of our focus. He's all we need. He's that precious treasure from God that when you find him you joyfully sell all you have you give it away just to possess jesus give me jesus give me jesus you can have all the rest just give me jesus shall we pray jesus we thank you for your word we thank you that a guy sitting in prison could have such a perspective that he would help turn our eyes to you you would lift our faces to the savior he would help lift us into walking in Christ, being rooted and grounded and established in you, and to choose thankfulness, thankful for you above all else. So I pray that we will be those people, that we will encourage one another. We will stay focused on the main thing. is Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory, our King and kings and Lord of lords. Amen.